This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut Babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. We're taking the train to Thirul today. Think of D.H. Lawrence and Frieda Lawrence who stayed here. It's a seaside town in the shadow of a massive escarpment full of coal. Nearby are the coal and steel towns of Wollongong and Port Kembla. I went to hear Tim Flannery speak, but I found so much more. It was an Extinction Rebellion picnic. They are all about being inclusive, so there were activities for children, like a story reading tent, <coughs> sack races, they even had a people's parliament. I went around talking to people who are sounding the alarm against climate change and the local issue for them is the long wall coal mining. This is causing riverbeds and swamps to collapse. They have witnessed a big shift in this area where coal was king. Things have changed dramatically over the years in that um, when I first started knitting nanas down here we wouldn't have dared talk to people in the street about stopping coal mining. But we now realise that the, the damage that's been done on our escarpment due to coal mining is just horrendous. It, it's, you know, our water is the, the most important thing and that, and that we would even consider doing something that would damage our, our water supply. It's just the water supply for five and a half million people, Greater Sydney, you know, it's crazy. How can any amount of coal be more important than our water. I also met people who've had a big shift in their own lives because of climate change. I mean I've lived here all my life and I have uh, been on many campaigns supporting coal miners and, and the coal industry for decades, um, fighting for wages and conditions and to keep pits open. And But that was that was another time. That was before we realised the damage that CO2 and fossil fuels were actually making to the planet and that you know, we really need to stop, stop burning fossil fuels, i.e. You know, stop mining coal is, is one of those things. And it wasn't until I was actually shown, I mean, I knew that, that this mining was happening, but I had no idea of the effects and the damage that was being caused. You just... You just, I don't know, you just don't really think about, about that. And it's sort of sight unseen. So it wasn't until I was shown these, the photos of the damage that uh, I was just shocked. And I thought, well, we really need to start, you know, campaigning against this and get this, this stopped because it's, it, it was just horrendous. You know, the, the destruction of the habitats and the swamps. I mean, those things are irreplaceable. You cannot, and you cannot really rehabilitate that type of destruction. You cannot, how do you pay for, which is what mines uh, suggest that they do. In fact, they put a, they put a, they have to put away a certain amount of money for rehabilitation. You cannot rehabilitate a riverbed that has been cracked hundreds of meters. How do you do that? You don't. It's it's gone forever. And I think that was one of the reasons why the IPC has refused the expansion of dendrobium because they could see we need that water to survive. Some people are banking on the billions to be invested in green hydrogen and green steel, but I couldn't actually get a clear idea of just transition plans or anything for the workers here. A lot of people are talking about it, but I hope they're not just leaving it up to Twiggy Forrest to invest his billions.
During the afternoon, a brass band appeared called the Femme Fatale. They were walking very slowly, as in a funeral march, carrying a big coffin. They were dressed up in top hats and lace gloves, like a Victorian-era funeral procession. Then they played wild music as children and adults stomped on a tarpaulin full of mud and straw. They turned them into, I thought it was going to be mud bricks, but they were little mud tombstones for the hundreds of animals that have died recently in bushfires and droughts. But it wasn't actually morbid. The atmosphere Extinction Rebellion creates is all about regeneration. D.H. Lawrence would have loved it, I think. The life force was here, as well as in the deep coal pits on the escarpment. You'll hear how climate action is making people's blood boil down here, but it's also bringing out the innovation and intelligence of this community. Tim Flannery said he'd moved down here and he just loves it because there's a lot of energy here for a, a just transition and for a brighter future. Um, yeah. Making fires, um, nearly all the trees will burn down and we mm. won't be able to breathe and we might maybe die. Oh man. How old are you buddy? Five and three quarters. Right. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great comment, but it's a startling one. And, yeah, less burning of trees. I hear you. He's seen it firsthand, one of the most devastating fires that'll ever, you know, rage this country. Thank you for sharing. After the welcome to country, we'll hear from Sharon Posselt, who is with the Protect Our Water Alliance. Yolanga, Nangami, Nalamayui, Migues, Girigas, Nangang, Nandalili, Nangamang, Ni Yalabi. Welcome to country, welcome to land. The land we are meeting on today is the land of the Durrell people. The land covers from the south of Sydney, Shalhaven River, southern highlands. Um, it's a, you know, within this space, Aboriginal people, as you know, the big fella just said there, we've been here for a long time. Uh, you know, people say 60,000. You know, it's probably over 100,000 years Aboriginal. We are the oldest living culture in the world. Um, and sometimes, you know, I don't think we get the, the, you know, the recognition for that. Um, and I think society in general needs to change in a lot of ways and when they think about Indigenous peoples, and that's not just in Australia, I think it's around the world. They have the knowledge about, you know, looking after the land, um, you know, making sure that, because without the land, we're nothing. And that's all of us. We are, in, in our spirit, in our times, Mother Earth, people have probably heard of that. That's who we are, that's where we come from. So unless we look after it, well then, I don't think we're gonna have any Mother Earth to look back at uh, for the generations to come. So it's very important that we continue this. I'd like us to acknowledge my elders, past and present, my elders are the important people in my community. Uh, they've shown me who I am as an Aboriginal person, to be proud as an Aboriginal person in my own country. Um, without their perseverance, fight and endurance, something that you people are looking to do, well, I don't know where we'd be as a culture. But without their perseverance and fight, walk the walk, talk the talk, similar to what you are doing back in the you know, 50s, 60s and that, my mum and dad were part of that where would it be? So hopefully this is something that you people doing now can change in the next you know, 10 to 15 years time, 20 years time. So continue to do that. Thank you very much. We come to this country, uh, we didn't fulfill the role of caretakers, um, which is now the opportunity we have. We're all caretakers of the land and we can look to the, you know, first earth communities, the Aboriginal cultures the native peoples and be inspired how they thrived on the land you know we were told in school that oh they survived you know no they thrived if we try to go out into the bush today you try to go out and and feel fed and safe and secure for more than a day or a couple of days whereas these guys like uncle richard said have been here for tens of thousands of years thriving and through sure ebbs and flows of the turn of the climate ice ages and whatnot but they persevered they conquered and they did that in service to mother earth it's just uh it's what we're here for what else could be a greater fulfillment 
than to serve Mother Earth, who serves us day in, day out. Think about everything in your life. You know, the car, the food, the clothes, everything comes from Mother Earth. And then we have a festival and we say, hey, can you come and give back? And people are, oh, maybe. It's like every day she's giving for us. And it's time to give back. So thank you for coming here. Thanks again. Now, Mithra Cox speaks to the Extinction Rebellion picnic at Thoreau. Listeners might remember her band called The Lurkers. Well, now she's a Greens councillor in Wollongong. Darawal land, Thrill actually means Darawal and it's unceded land. There's no treaty, we've got a long way to go to make reparations for the dispossession and poverty that Aboriginal people have been living with since this land was stolen. I would, however, like to start with a hope story. My two kids are running around here somewhere. I think that shaky tent might be shaking because of them. And they're seven and nine, and when I was pregnant with the nine-year-old, we spent a lot of time travelling around New South Wales with our band, playing at a lot of festivals, but also playing at a lot of climate camps. And one of the climate camps that we played at was outside the Hazelwood Power Station in Victoria. And um, at the time it was a huge protest and it was a huge struggle. And everybody thought we were crazy for protesting to shut down that power station, which was the most dirty and polluting um, coal-fired power station in the country at the time. It's since been closed for about four years. It's one of the battles that we have since won. We also camped outside the Liddell power station up near Musselbrook in the Upper Hunter. And a few months ago, the company that owns that power station announced that they'll be closing it down and they'll be replacing it with a giant battery. And that'll be providing jobs for the people that currently work there and it will also be enabling the transition to clean energy. Another one that we played at was outside the Araring power station on the central coast. Um, in the last couple of months, it's also been announced that that power station will be closed down in coming years and also replaced with a battery even bigger than the one they're planning for Liddell. And so, <laughs> 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed that it was possible. We do these things because we have hope in our hearts that we can do it. And sometimes it's hard to believe that it's possible, but reflecting on that last 10 years, so, so much has happened, and so, so much more is possible. I was elected to council as a Greens councillor four years ago, and I can honestly, hand on heart, say that in those four years, we have been able to achieve more on council than I had previously as an activist in the preceding 15 years before that. Um, there's only two of us Greens on that council. It's myself and Kath Blakey, who's here somewhere with her daughter as well. But not only were we able to get council to declare a climate emergency, we were able to get them to set targets to get to net zero by 2030. We were able to fully fund an urban greening program, which means that these trees that you can see in this park have been planted under that program. We've had Wollongong declared its intention to become a bike-friendly city over the next 10 years and start building separated cycleways. Doubled the funding for footpaths. And I would, what I really would like to say is that climate change is not a problem that is beyond politics. Climate change is in essence a political problem. We have the technology. We know how to make electricity without burning coal. We know how to make electric cars. We know how to do the transition. What we lack is the political will. And what I can say from sitting around the decision table is that you need people who believe that we need to do it and that we want to do it. And, you know, climate change is one of those things that makes me wake up some nights in a cold sweat, wondering if we're going to do it fast enough. But one of the most important things that you can do is to vote climate activists into positions of power around that decision-making table because without people advocating, it would never happen. And there is a really big difference. And 
it breaks my heart when people say that politicians are all the same because some of us are elected representatives who are actually climate activists and it's the thing that gets us out of bed every morning and makes us go to work in that fairly difficult environment and please consider when you vote the power of that vote and that not everybody is the same and that if you elect climate activists into those positions then change is possible. Thank you. Tim Flannery from the Climate Council and the author of many books, most recently The Climate Cure, gave us a talk. We as a community are making a statement here about what we believe and what we want to see changed. And everyone going past, everyone who reads about this, will understand that there's some momentum here in all of this. Now look, I've spent most of my life as a scientist and I just wanted to talk a little bit about where we are with climate science. Sadly, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hard story. Um, we have delayed action on climate change you know, year after year now to the point where this is really the moment that we have to make the decision. This year, the next year and the year after are going to be absolutely critical in terms of setting the right trajectory for us. You know, we've wasted so much time. If we miss another three years, we'll be committed to one and a half degrees of warming. And, you know, we then have a, quite a serious risk of hitting the climatic tipping points. And to hear poli many politicians, not all, Mithra, <laughs> but many politicians talk about this, they think they can set the deadlines for when we need to decarbonise the economy. That's not true. What sets the deadlines is the Earth's climate system. Because if you delay things enough, we will hit those tipping points and after that, no matter what you do, you've lost control, you've lost the chance to return to the stable climate that we all grew up in and we depend upon uh, for our food and water and everything else. So we have to work with that realisation that we are in a critical period. I feel so deeply honoured to be in the presence of Craig and Mithra here who are just such great community leaders, one from business and one from politics. If we had a few more people like that, we would be changing the world. And I just encourage you all to get involved. What Mithra said is absolutely right. This is a political problem. It's no longer a technological problem. We've got the technologies we need. What we now require is the willpower to implement those technologies. And people, as the world deteriorates and situations get tougher, people do do extraordinary things. Even our current government, in the face of the COVID pandemic, laid out a really rigorous science-backed response that had a big economic cost, had a big social cost, um, and we managed to deal with that problem. So what I'd, I think our government needs to do, or all of our governments need to do, is recognise the urgency of the problem and take the three steps we took during the COVID pandemic. You know, the first was to stop the spread of the problem. That's pretty common sense, isn't it? You know, if, if people are catching COVID, you've got to have a lockdown so that we can stop the spread. And, you know, if the Prime Minister hadn't locked down the country uh, in, on the 13th of March last year, he wouldn't have had the opportunity really a month later because the number of cases would have been so vast, the problem would have grown out of control. So that's why the, the Chief Medical Officer said, lockdown now or you'll lose control. That's the message we need to send to the Prime Minister with climate. Cut emissions now or you risk losing control. So we need to do that on a very large scale. And look, cost is, is very important. Sure, there's an e economic cost with this, but when you're facing a genuine emergency, you bear those costs. You know, we saw it with COVID, we've seen it with, uh, w with the, the Second World War. You know, so when we look at this climate problem, we need to regard, have a regard to cost but understand that the bigger issue is to stop the spread, get the emissions down. The second thing that we need to see governments doing is to make sure we've got enough emergency capacity to take care of all of the casualties that we're creating. I mean, as it is, the Great Barrier Reef is 70% dead. If we warm to two degrees, it'll be 99% um, dead. We can't afford that. We have to take care of our reef. And there are things we can do to make sure that happens. We've got to take care of all of our biodiversity in the same way. We have to take care of our vulnerable communities, indigenous communities in areas, in, in inland areas, where heat waves are going to be a massive problem for them. We've got to make sure that our food supply is stable. 
we've got to make sure our water supply is stable. And what Craig was talking about with water up here is an absolutely essential part of that. It's the responsibility of government to make sure that we've got that water security that we'll need for our society to move forward. We know we can do all of this, but we need a focus in government to do it. And thirdly, we, we need a vaccine of some sort. And you know, because the climate problem has been building for 200 years and there's so much gas in the air now that we'll see adverse changes continue unless we can do something about that. Look, this is, it's a technical area, it's an area I've been working in for some time, but the vaccine for climate change is called drawdown. And David Attenborough said it so well in his A Life on Earth. He said, we've got to take care of our forests. We've got to heal our ocean. If we do that, we'll be creating the strength in the Earth's climate system to draw carbon out of the atmosphere and into the trees and the soils and so forth. So that's part of the problem, part of the solution. I personally believe we've got to start growing seaweed as well, because seaweed is such a great capturer of carbon dioxide. It's something we, can, we know we can do, we can build industries on it, and we can help solve the climate problem. We can also do things like use silicate rocks, use direct air capture of CO2 to replace some of the things we use fossil fuels for today. All of that's possible. But it's not going to happen without a government focus, because these are early stage approaches, and they need to be fostered and grown as our local response. I just want to reflect on what Mithra said because it was so important. Time is short. The best thing we can do is get involved. The key problem now is a political problem. It's vested interests, people who've been doing very well for a very long time, exploiting our commons and leading to a deterioration in our, in our quality of life and in our environment. That has to stop. And the thing to do now, I believe, is to get involved. I made that decision to do that two years ago during the federal election. I moved into the electorate of Warringah. I was going to stand against Tony Abbott because I knew he had to go. Thankfully, Zali Stegel put up her hand and she had a much better chance than me of getting rid of him, so I supported her. And when she won, it was the one bright moment on that terrible election night when we saw another reactionary government elected. But I thought about it afterwards. If we'd have had two or three Zali Steggles, the government would have been in minority and would have been forced into coalition with some people who cared passionately about climate and we would be living in a different world. So I just in, I re invite you all to get involved. If you take one thing away from this meeting today, go and meet your political representatives at the federal and state level. Ask them what they are doing themselves about this terrible crisis we face. And they'll, they'll answer you with very smart political rhetoric about either oh, parties doing this or that. You've got to cut through all that and say, no, what are you doing? Because a lot hangs on this. If you can convince me that you're doing the right thing, I'll help you, I'll support you. But if you can't do that, I will actively oppose you. And that's what we need now. We need some fear and respect of the electorate in our representatives to give them the backbone they need to make very difficult political decisions. But it has to happen. So. I'm, a, I'm so happy to be part of this community. I've lived here for a year now. It's a wonderful community. I know we can do it, but let's get together between now and the next election to make sure that we can exert our strength and power to the utmost to get the result we know that the world needs. Thank you very much. I am not in love But I'm open to persuasion When you think of community, uh, think of 3CR. When you think of radio, think of 3CR. This is Joan Armour Trading asking you to support your community radio station, 3CR, the only alternative. Someone with hands-on experience in the coal mine and steel business was Craig Perritone. He tells us how he saw the actual gushing water coming into the mine from the cracks above where the long wall has, has collapsed and the riverbed has uh, started to crack. He's also the leader of the Protect Our Water Alliance. Twiggy Forest, who uh, owns Fortescue, Metals in WA has recently invested about $3 billion in Port Kembla for uh, green hydrogen. 
and for green steel and that's something I want to talk about a little bit tonight. Um, in my own, so I work for Blue Scope Steel, I used to work for them for many years, years ago and I made it clear recently that uh, when I finish the project I'm on, what I really want to work on is a green steel project to um, you know, put the wind up my own company and get them moving towards and away from mining coking coal out of our water catchment. And that's where Protect Our Water Alliance is really focused. Our escarpment is riddled with longwall mines that are puncturing the beautiful water catchment that supplies us in Sydney. I worked in Dendrobium Mine for a couple of years, putting in um, automation technology to capture downtime and production. And I can remember being there at two o'clock in the morning and training people and just seeing this massive amount of water flowing through the mine and it just didn't click where that was coming from. And after I finished working in that industry, I was just horrified when I realized exactly what was happening. And that was one of the reasons I joined Power, is to really target a very, very distinctive target, which is to protect the water that we have in a land that is generally quite parched. Why is progress so slow? And I'd suggest that the, the way things really change when we see vested interests that are screwing our planet is that they move in part when activists stand in front of the truck, if you like, which is what this is about tonight to some extent. But what really tends to drive change is the smaller agile businesses that are innovating. And so the, you know, the, the solar energy companies are kicked off in the 90s. It's these innovators that scare the legacy companies, the really big companies that are slow moving. And so one of the things that I believe as an activist is our job is to encourage those that innovate to compete against the companies that are screwing our planet. And we're seeing that now in the Illawarra. There's a company called H2X, which is in the process of building a hydrogen, hybrid hydrogen and electric vehicle plant. It's really the first Australian vehicle plant we've ever had because all of our, our others have been owned by the US or Japan. The other thing I've observed, uh, Power last year was um, heavily involved in, in a successful campaign against the extension of the Dendrobium mine, South 32, in, in, uh, in Mount Kembla. And in the Independent Planning Commission, where there were about 150 submissions from us as well as members of, other members of the community, there was this amazing phenomena. I could see no one who could speak other than their self-interest. There was a preschool in Unidera that talked about how wonderful the mining company was because they were funding their preschool. Well, of course they're wonderful if they're funding a preschool. It doesn't mean they're doing something good for the planet. And we saw people who were representing the mining company. Uh, and then we saw others that were you know, representing the community. I think one of the things we need to do is to move away from this culture of self-interest, which is so dominant, to the concept of the commons. We have these common assets that we need to protect. And whether we work for a company that works against them or not, my company that I work for is the main reason that we're mining in the catchment. And I really engage with that. I engage with that that's got to change. And having that conversation internally is starting to be useful. So what is our role as citizens and activists? And in the last year or so that I've been working with Power, it's really made me think, what is our role as activists? Is it to go on strike? Is it to go on protest? Well, of course it is. But it's to be really, really well informed. We have to understand exactly how these systems work, why people are doing the things that they're doing, the, the, the companies that are ruining our landscape. We need to be constructively angry and smart. Anger is really important, but it needs to be really intelligent because this is a, a very, very well-organised enemy. We need to pressure governments and particularly the legacy businesses and target their brands. One of the things we know about corporates is that brand is what drives their, their values and, their, you know, and what they want to do, and so we can target their brands. We need to intervene in dodgy proposals, and I want to talk about what power how power was involved with the dendrobium, uh, the dendrobium uh, contest last year. One of the first things we did is said, 
People really need to understand exactly how this works. You know, why are we mining in the catchment? Providing really solid information. And so colleagues in power spend a lot of time doing research and making it easy for people to understand what's going on and what they can do about it. One of the things we did, because we knew that there was going to be this tendency to put it jobs versus the environment, which is complete bullshit. There are better jobs in a, in a sustainable energy future in the Illawarra. And so we ran a, a green steel forum to explain to people how you can produce steel without mining coke and coal. Getting involved in alliances with uh, groups like Lock the Gate was really powerful and working with the Environment Def Environmental Defenders Office. I don't know if you've heard of them. I'm just in awe of the Environmental Defenders Office. It's a group of lawyers and experts who, in a lot of cases, are doing pro bono work to work with environmental groups to protest and to contest proposals that are damaging to the environment. And working with the EDO is absolutely critical to the success of our campaign against Dendrobium. They marshaled, with our assistance, a barrister who was an ex-member ex of the Planning Commission, a number of really eminent scientists and economists, and what we saw in the, in the ruling by the panel when they, when they uh, voted against the mine was quoting the words of these eminent scientists and economists and so on, that it was too damaging, it was too risky, it was unable to be rehabilitated if we went down that way. And this is the, the reality. The other really important thing, and I guess the reason I'm speaking tonight, is that we realise within power that we need to get many, many, many more people involved in grassroots community to provide a groundswell to let governments know that we are not accepting these, um, these proposals and to target key people in, in industry and in government. Thanks for your time tonight. I'm really passionate about the beautiful escarpment that we live with. It's in deep trouble. It's perforated and porous, and it's getting more so unless we actually all take action. But I'd invite you to be really intelligent about it, understand the systems and the enemies that we're up against, and learn how to work with it. Thanks. Have a great night. When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Generally, like older, wetter forests slow down the path of fire, and this is actually quite a well-known phenomenon. Historically, these big, large fires have been quite rare, but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common. So we've had three in the last 20 years. This is definitely because of climate change, which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. assembly also out here on the grass where many good ideas were voiced and one man called Otanji gave us this poem. Um, this poem is entitled Polka Dots. To those who can hear me I say do not despair. This torrid ineptitude of political quagmires that the world finds itself goose-stepping towards is merely the death throw of power's hungry, hungry hippo mentality consuming itself. The world 
does not need saving, we do. We are waking to the power of our voice, a power of choice to extend a hand and a heart. If you can help just one soul, it's a start. We are not purse strings or puppets. We are the lub-dub potential of every supernova. We are our own shining suns, pulsing rays, cosmic light across the infinite spaces that seem to separate you and I. So go out and stomp your feet in the early morning sun. Dance to welcome the day. Scrawl your unique aptitudes across the canvas of reality. Jackson, pull at that shit. Yeah. Paint polka dots everywhere, and don't worry about the stairs. Don't succumb to the ne'er-do-wells. Don't shade your light just because others are afraid of their own. You have a gift. I mean, you are a gift. The future swims across the dreamscape of my mind, and there you are. Thank you. Wow. I'm at the Rule, south of Sydney in the Illawarra. Think Wollongong Coal and Port Kembla Steel. There's an ongoing local struggle here to stop coal mining in the water catchment that supplies five million people in Sydney with water. I've got Sharon from the Protect Our Water Alliance, which is called Power. She's with me here at the Rule. So welcome to the Climate Action Radio Show, Sharon. What are the impacts of coal mining on the water catchment? Well, there's a lot of different um, effects on mining and the water catchment. What happens is uh, a lot of the mines around uh, this area, and there's quite a few mines that mine underneath the water catchment around the Illawarra, um, and they use uh, longwall mining. So what happens is a longwall mining machine goes into a mining seam and <clears throat> digs out the coal and when it's got all the coal out of that seam it backs out and it basically just lets the mine roof collapse um, into that space which then cracks all the um, rock above that seam which makes its way to the surface and cause can cause cracking and subsidence and there's a lot of evidence of that around the Illawarra um, catchment. It can crack riverbeds and streambeds. It leads to the um, water from those streams and creeks and swamps. There's quite a few swamps on the Illawarra escarpment top, um, which are very important for releasing. They act as sponges in times of drought and they just slowly release water into those streams and they're very important for lots of different species. Basically it leads to a huge loss of groundwater flowing into those cracks and then into the mines below and the mines then have to pump them out so that they continue mining and that mine is polluted with various heavy metals and minerals which um, are leached out of the, the cracked sediments of rock into that water. So that water is then polluted and needs to be um, gotten rid of somehow. Now some of that actually bubbles up through um, other waterways in the rock and comes out and you can actually see in some of the streams that flow into the catchment that it's like bright orange and that is um, you know got a lot of uh, concentration of minerals in there that and it looks it looks pretty bad and it's not very healthy now that is flowing into our water catchment <laughs> so that brings us around full circle we've just had that massive drought a lot of people and much evidence says that climate change is going to give us more of those droughts and more of the floods we've had and more of the fires we've just had so the connection between coal is not often drawn and gas. The, someone said to me, oh, that escarpment behind us, and listeners, we're standing here at Thirul with this giant escarpment behind us full of coal and gas, apparently. And someone says, like Swiss cheese, you know, with all the mines that are down there already. So now looking to the future, what turned you on to climate change in an area where I imagine a lot of your friends and everybody you know would be connected with coal mining and the jobs involved? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Wollongong's always been seen as a steel and coal town. That is changing. It's not 
as you know it's not the biggest employer anymore the coal companies will like to tell people that we can't close coal mines uh, because of the, the job losses and the flow-on effects and and they like to say that if uh, a particular coal mine doesn't get this expansion or um, the steelworks will close and that's just bullshit basically. Um, coal is on the outer and so it should be. Um, we know now that of the dangerous effects of CO2 being released into the atmosphere, burning fossil fuels and yeah we're surrounded by coal mines here and and it's a hard sell really because it's been it's always been seen as an integral part of of the life of Wollongong um we're not against coal miners um you know they they're just doing a job we really feel that there needs to be a lot more talk about a just transition for those um workers in those industries we don't really feel that the mining companies have their interests at heart at all and they the coal is a fossil fuel and we need to stop mining it and that flows you know joins in nicely with our water catchment we need to stop those mines uh, undermining our water and poisoning our water supply you cannot drink coal well you said there needs to be a lot more talk about the just transition What's actually happening? You live down here. What's actually happening about a new vision? Is anyone really painting a picture of how it will be if we transition and when quickly we do transition? Yeah, there are um, the local um, Illawarra Climate Justice Alliance, ICTA. Uh, they have a just transition subgroup, which has done a lot of research on it. And in fact, there has been talk in the media of getting uh, green hydrogen into um, into the steelworks. People want to know what the community's doing and you're very knowledgeable about what this community has done in the past. As you say, you've been part of many campaigns over years. Tell us about a win you had with Dendrobium Mine. You said it gave you a great shock and I think <laughs> listeners will know from me reporting over the 10 years about the independent planning authority who practically never uh, seem to listen to all the expert witnesses they get. In this case, they did. <laughs> yes, we did have a really great win. One of the local mines here, Dendrobium, put in um, a to, uh, for an expansion of its coal mine uh, which would go further under the water catchment and therefore cause greater damage um, and greater water loss and um, so uh, it went to the Independent Planning Commission for approval and we in power had a big campaign to get as many local community members we did leafleting several suburbs we were in the media, we had demonstrations and just to make the community aware of that this was actually happening and what that would actually mean for the future of our water catchment. We were asking people to put in submissions to the IPC. Um, we contacted lots of um, experts um, to also put submissions in for us. Um, Sydney Water also put in a big submission against the expansion among other groups and we actually, the IPC decided not to grant that expansion and we were totally shocked at the time <laughs> but very happy. <laughs> yeah, so well, a lot of people get very locked into their attitudes and so on, but you said when you saw the photos of those, and I've just looked at your photo, these huge chasms in the rock, and just to think that's caused from underneath you know, where the, the mine wall has collapsed. Tell us how people can be turned around. If you had many experiences where people are really turned around by that oh my god moment when they just see something. Well, I was <laughs> turned around by it. I mean, I've lived here all my life and I have um, been on many campaigns supporting coal miners and, and the coal industry for decades, fighting for wages and conditions and to keep pits open. And But that was, that was another time. That was before we realised the damage that CO2 and fossil fuels were actually making to the planet and that 
you know, we really need to stop burning fossil fuels, i.e., you know, stop mining coal is, is one of those things. And it wasn't until I was actually shown, I mean, I knew that, that this mining was happening, but I had no idea of the effects and the damage that was being caused. You just, you just, I don't know, you just don't really think about, about that. And it's sort of sight unseen. So it wasn't until I was shown these, the photos of the damage that uh, I was just shocked. And I thought, well, we really need to start, you know, campaigning against this and get this, this stopped because it's, it, it was just horrendous. You know, the, the destruction of the habitats and the swamps. I mean, those things are irreplaceable. You cannot, and you cannot really rehabilitate that type of destruction. You cannot, how do you pay for, which is what mines uh, suggest that they do. In fact, they, put a, they, put a, they have to put away a certain amount of money for rehabilitation. You cannot rehabilitate a riverbed that has been cracked hundreds of metres how do you do that? You don't. It's, it's gone forever. And I think that was one of the reasons why the IPC has refused the expansion of dendrobium. I've got one of the knitting nanas here, but she's a veteran of many campaigns. Can you tell me, like, you've got so many badges on your hat and you've been up at Bentley. Tell us some of the highlights of climate action from the community point of view you've seen. Well, I would have to say probably the one that started me off mainly was I was in uh, Stop Coal Sem Gas Illawarra and I went up to Bentley to be involved in a camp up there for a week and saw the work that the Knitting Nanas were doing. And from there I started INAG down here in, in the Illawarra, Illawarra Knitting Nanas against uh, gas at that time. So we had uh, human signs on the beach and walking over the Sea Cliff Bridge and every politician you could think of we visited and harangued and harassed and we, we, don't, um, we don't bother what, what their uh, policy is as long as they agree that we need to stop funding fossil fuels and we need to start funding and supporting uh, renewables. Things have changed dramatically over the years in that um, when I first started knitting nanas down here we wouldn't have dared talk to people in the street about stopping coal mining. But we now realise that the, the damage that's been done on our escarpment due to coal mining is just horrendous. It, it's, you know, our water is the, the most important thing and that, and that we would even consider doing something that would damage our, our water supply. It's just the water supply for five and a half million people, Greater Sydney, you know, it's crazy. How can any amount of coal be more important than our water and the, the ridiculous thing is that that coal in a very short while is going to become a stranded asset. They will not be able to clean up the mess they've made let alone sell their coal uh, and we're still putting our, our water at risk because of it and same with coal seam gas up in, in the Pilliga. They're, they're wanting to put in another 850 coal seam gas wells. Um, over the Great Artesian Basin, uh, our biggest um, freshwater supply, and they're they're looking at drilling down through the aquifers and that. The problem there is, even if they uh, if they put the wells in and they're stopped from um, mining coal seam gas, those gas wells, even when they're capped, they will eventually leak. 
and that's that's the it may not be this year it may not be in 10 years it may be 20 years it may be 50 years but they will eventually leak and that's that's the horrendous thing and and our government is not looking at this the long-term um, future of these horrendous uh, coal seam gas wells they're talking about it as a transition fuel they should have been like other countries that have uh, already moving on to renewables. Our, our government seems to be doing everything to try and stop it. They're, they're looking at, at putting um, taxing people who have solar panels now, things like that. Um, Victoria, they've brought in, um, they want to uh, charge extra tax on people who have electric vehicles. So everything the, the community is trying to do to stop, you know, the, the damage that's been done to our world. Yeah. It's horrendous. We're just about to be drowned out by the Extinction Rebellion band, which is playing this very beautiful dirge-like music in the back. I'm part of the Illawarra Climate Coalition, which is a group that aims to act as a liaison between all of the various climate and environmental groups in the Wollongong and Illawarra area. Quite easy to be stuck, especially down here. Lots of people like to consider Wollongong and the northern suburbs of the Illawarra as a coal mining region, and like people like to refer to it even as the Coal Coast. So it is really easy to be stuck in that mentality of this is what we know and this is where all of our money comes from, even though it's not true at this point in time. Um, we're mainly like a university town at this point. But as a young person, it just became pretty obvious to me that um, through science and like seeking educated opinions on the topic that action needs to happen. And it doesn't have to be action that completely puts people that work in the coal mines out of work. One of our main pillars to what we ask for, our demands, is a just transition for those workers as well and to provide them with the training and resources that they need um, to be able to come through this crisis that it is and still be able to have a sustainable living on the other side of that. Yeah. I haven't been able to find out where that's really happening, the just transition. Like, are there some think tanks at the university, for example, or people who are, or in the union movement, who are actually thinking about it because other countries have gone before us. Germany, we've interviewed people from Germany, they transitioned all their coal workers nearly, I think it's nearly over, but it was a government run process and everybody was included, no one was left behind. It's quite a good role model. Yeah, it's quite impressive, isn't it? And it should be a really inspiring thing for the local, state, federal governments here. Um, the main thing, the main issue that we have with that is just getting them to even think about it, even consider um, what a just transitions could be. Uh, we still haven't quite gotten past that fear reaction at the moment of, oh, I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be able to pay for my house or feed my family. Um, so really at the moment, it's getting interest in those ideas around a just transition. Um, there definitely are people at the university who have researched this. I can't think of any names at the moment. Um, and have like solutions and plans um, and even it's been like Germany for example is looking for places to buy green steel, um, green power from because they don't have the natural resources that we do there to create these things and they want to be renewable and have no net emissions. Um, and Wollongong would be a great hub for a place like that. We've already got the infrastructure of the port and all of those kinds of things um, to move into an industry based on renewables. And it's really a 
great economic opportunity, but people aren't able to um, move past the initial fear reaction to I'm going to lose my job yet, which is really sad, but definitely something that we're trying to um, work against with all of our community outreach and education. Obviously, believe in community action, and I, I can see this is a very family-friendly um, event from Extinction Rebellion. They're trying to get everyone in. Nobody has to be an expert. You just have to. Once you know, you can't live the same as when you didn't know about climate change. And I think writing to parliamentarians, I'm a bit over that myself, seeing as I don't get replies, and I can see how they're caught themselves with fossil fuel donations in Parliament and all of that. But it sounds like you believe in that. Well, why do you believe it? Have you had any contact with politicians that makes you feel that they are open to changing? Um, Sharon Bird, I really feel for her because she is a community-minded person and I really do feel like she cares what we think. Um, she's just in a tight spot with the Liberal government being in power at the moment. Sorry, I don't know what party she's from, but could you just tell us what party she's from and what's your message to her? Just say it on the... What you'd say if I was her? Tell, tell the message now. Yeah. So Sharon Bird is from the Labour Party and my message would, to her would be don't give up the good fight. The people that you're supposed to be representing really care about this issue and they deserve more action on climate change. Tonight you've been to Cerule with the Climate Action Radio Show. Thank you to Extinction Rebellion for inviting me and for the shot in the arm they provide for the climate action movement. It's a lot about inviting in the musicians and the fun makers to create family-friendly events where everyone can have a voice. It's about people's assemblies where we can generate action. It's also about educating ourselves. We can't see those broken riverbeds up in the escarpment. Someone must have got the photos out. But once you know about it and the massive loss of water caused by the coal mines and the coal mines causing the climate change, you can take action. Thank goodness Sydney Water joined the community in court to stop one of those mines. But it's a constant battle. As Mithra Cox said, don't lose faith in politics. Vote in climate activists and support them in councils and government. And Tim Flannery backed her up on that. A big thank you to these people, Sharon and Craig, from Protect Our Water Alliance, Mithra Cox, Tim Flannery and the poet Ola Tunji. Thanks to the Aboriginal man, Uncle Richard, who welcomed us, the Knitting Nana and Naya Webb from Illawarra Climate Action and thanks for the marvellous raunchy music from the Femme Fatale. Behind the scenes, I'd like to thank Michaela at 3CR and Raoul at Radio Skid Row and also to the Climactic Collective who encouraged me. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck. Um, yeah. Making fires, um, nearly all the trees will burn down and we won't be able to breathe and we might maybe die. Oh man. How old are you buddy? Five and three quarters. Right. Oh. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great comment, but it's a startling one. And yeah, less burning of trees. I hear you. He's seen it firsthand, one of the most devastating fires that'll ever, you know, rage this country. Thank you for sharing. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yauru country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time.
but I'm open to persuasion. East or West. When you think of community, uh, think of 3CR. When you think of radio, think of 3CR. This is Joan Armour Trading asking you to support your community radio station, 3CR, the only alternative. But with the love around the roll my hair back, the little man, the frilly lad.